0: Father, we come before in Jesus' name.
1: Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. Let us be changed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to just do a little advertisement for uh, what Jason was talking about. Uh, We are...
0: Nothing really bad is going on in the church. It's it's all pretty good. There's just a
1: lot of little things that are getting a little bit, what would you say, disintegrated, like unraveled. Uh, it's losing its tightness. Uh, we kind of feel like we're losing it. Focus on some things. Why, why are we here? What are we doing here? Um, priorities, vision, shared vision. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, I was saying this morning, it's a bit like a, a sinkhole, you know, a sinkhole just leeches out a little bit of, you know, it's usually limestone. It just leeches out a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, then the house falls in. So we're not anywhere remotely close to the house falling in. Uh, we don't have feuding factions and, uh, you know, hostile corporate takeovers happening or anything like that, or, uh, you know, heretical doctrine, you know, it's honestly, everything's pretty good, but, um, At the same time, I mean, and maybe there's some of you in here, you're like, I've never been doing better in my life. Um, But uh, as I look over the church and the vision and what we are and what we, they're just every so often, you kind of feel like we're losing focus a little bit. And uh, you think about some things that we used to do, we used to have uh, those times of prayer that people would be committed to during the week. That's a little bit sloppy, right? Amen? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody used to, you know, Susan and I used to Saturday night, hey, this is our time. We're on. We'd get 10, 20, sometimes 30 prayer requests. We'd just be praying for you guys. What, whatever happened to that? Um, CD groups, you know, they get a little bit sloppy. Minimum requirement. You know, I was saying, uh, sometimes CD groups, they challenge me to up my game. Sometimes, they kind of look like everyone's doing the bare minimum. Right? Uh, the discipleship uh, seminars and things just there's just a lot of things that kind of look like they're getting a little bit we're just losing our focus, and so yeah, I think if you know the devil said hey let 's stop preaching the Trinity, you know or salvation by faith or you know let's uh let's introduce rank immorality into the ranks. you know it just wouldn't work, uh, but hey let 's chip away a little bit. Get a little sloppy, get a little lazy, you know. People lose sight of what discipleship is, get enamored with careers and marriages and children and dreams and kind of lose their first love, you know, like happened in uh was that Ephesus in the book of Revelation. We don't want to do that. So this is just a little advertisement. We just thought it would be great. Let's just do a little prayer chain. Uh this coming weekend, and uh whatever. Hour, you feel the Lord. If this is your place. This is your church. A bunch of people are gone. We have huge. Some of our great intercessors are gone. But um, if this is your church, uh, we just uh, we want to come up with some very specific things about focus and um, some of the some of the pieces God. You know, He He's challenged us to implement. Um, and do we need to rethink some things? You know, the are there. What, what are dead traditions? Dead traditions are a lot of times live, really cool things that you just stopped praying over and thinking about, and you just do them because you've always done them. Are there things we need to cut off? Are there things we need to implement? Are there adjustments we need to make? So that's a little advertisement, but that'll make sense. Any of you guys feel what I'm talking about? Can I hear an amen? Oh, really? Okay. No. It, yeah, it's the leadership's kind of like, because yeah. God's doing some great stuff. And we just want to make sure that we're all clear thinking and, and going on all cylinders. Okay. Now is uh, my real sermon here or whatever you want to call it. Take my bread and loaves. Um, where should I start? At the beginning, but I don't know where that is. So maybe I'll talk about the Congo because um, Jason was talking about the Congo. Congo is hell on earth. It's about the worst place on the planet. I mean, competing with North Korea, probably, but for different reasons. And North Korea don't have marauding bands of terrorists and murderers and rapists. And I, I mean, I'm sorry if there's little children's ears in here that there's going to be a problem for. There's whole, there's whole villages, they call them rape villages, where, where women have been have children by rape and they're all trying to survive together in villages in the Congo. Uh, the history is horrific. Uh, if you want to be shocked, there's a video, I think, on Netflix called King Leopold's War. And <laughs> what uh, Belgium did. Or you, you can read Heart of Darkness. It's class, classic literature. It, it's just an absolute nightmare. And that's where C.T. Studd went. Um, <laughs> where's the worst place on the planet? Jesus sent me there. So this, some of you know where I was this last weekend. Uh, our last week was Susan. We went to kind of help this family out. And they're from Congo. And
0: um, their story is
1: just nightmarish. I wanted to get to know the father Richard a little better. He's in the middle with the hat on and they're all dressed up like Americans because I don't know, they went through a hip hop store or something and clothed them all. But some, um, but uh, the, they, you know, they, they're from Cong- the Congo and then, the, and then they're, they went to Uganda to settle them as political refugees because he was wealthy, somewhat successful and persecuted and several times kidnapped, tortured. Um, he showed me the scars on his body, you know, people trying to um get his money from him and just these horrible stories and then going through the jungle and um I mean they will tell you their story. They're they're kind of shockingly open about it that um a rebel group at gunpoint took his wife and he said this is the hardest thing that he's he doesn't know if he can ever heal from it. And as we're driving talking, just get to know each other. I just said, the Lord can heal you from it. And he just, he, he, he was, it was almost like he, he wanted to hear that. And he's, he, he, I'm not healed, but I, I need to know that I can be healed from this horrible thing. But they have all these beautiful kids. Um, you know, we met them a couple years ago when we went to visit Michaela. Um. And she said, "Oh, I just want you to meet my friends." And it happened. It just so happened at that time they had settled them in Uganda. They're living in the slums, and she has a basketball-sized tumor in her abdomen. And they have no money. And they—I mean, we've—we've actually been helping them with rent since we met them. There's no way for him to work. He doesn't speak the language, and there's no economy to mention anyway in Uganda. Everybody's poor and scratched and claw to survive. So they just stuck them there and we'll we'll leave you here till we find some better place for you. So we're like, man, the operations, it it would only cost, I think it was under $2,000 to get this thing removed. And so you guys quickly coughed up the money like you do when you ever hear about a cool cause. You're just like, hey, I want to get involved, which is one of the wonderful things about this church. Um, And it was, I think, about a month after we left, she had the tumor taken out. And I have a picture of it. It's truly the size of a basketball. But they said it was about to rupture, and had they not got it right when they got it, it would have been 24 hours, you would have died. So then you would have had a family without a mother, and I think things would have gotten really out of control really quickly. But um, So we were able to be a part of that. It's kind of neat, she says, in their culture, when a butterfly flies into your house, it has something to do with angels coming to visit you. Um, and she's born again and she's a Christian. This is just kind of a funny little cultural thing. They're not. This is not some weird occultic rabbit's foot, whatever, voodoo. It's just a little cultural thing. And she said on the day that we visited her, she said a butterfly flew into her house. So she was expecting God to do amazing things. Um, and so she told that story again before we left. And she's just crying and crying. I wanted to video her and she just couldn't stop crying. And it wasn't just Susan and me. It was all you guys, you know, and Michaela and the whole church and just praying for them and loving them, et cetera. But this is, uh, we took them out. They're not far from Niagara Falls. They've been holed up in a ghetto in a little shack with no money. Some days they don't, you know, didn't have food for everyone to eat, et cetera. What happened was uh, they've been dealing with these refugee organizations and they just said, um, all right, you're out of here in three days. Get ready you know i i don't know how many years they've been there stuck in Uganda All of a sudden, 3 days you're out and they just jerk them out put them on an airplane send them to New York send them to North Carolina send them to Erie Pennsylvania and they're like <sighs> and they know nothing about this culture they don't they didn't realize you could drink out of the tap you know i did it i turned the tap on it. watch this and they're like oh, wow um amazing they don't know what walmart is they don't know what you know goodwill they don't know how to use the bus transportation no one has a Driver's license, the parents don't speak English. Seriously, it be like plucking you out and dropping you on Neptune or something, or in that bar in Star Wars, you know? It's just its just this, this world is just so foreign to them. And so when we heard that they were there on Monday, it's our day off, and I was just praying, and I had just talked to you guys about the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan,
0: the story in
1: Luke 10, a guy's beat up, mugged, left half dead on the road. A couple of religious people walk by. Um, they're probably late for a prophecy conference or a healing meeting um, or a church administration or, or, or a big fundraiser you know maybe they were the keynote speaker at a big banquet so these two religious guys walk by they have good excuses for it but then a cultural enemy a samaritan um, which a war just broke out in palestine you know the jews you know the jews and the israelis and the palestinians like that those type of enemies so it would be like the good palestinian would be if jesus told the story again the jews bleeding out and this person basically maxes out their credit card, gets blood all over their Lexus, throws their their uh, daytimer to the wind to love this person in need. And so I was just sitting there on Monday and I was like, I, I was praying and I go upstairs. And I'm like, Susan, we should just go. We should just go. Um, we always have excuses why you shouldn't do the big brother big fit sister thing you know i'm a student i'm really busy those kids cost a lot of money you know come on it's do i really have the background Do you know i'll just wait a few years let me get a little more financially secure whatever should i go on that mission trip can i really afford to give to this cause or this we have all kinds of excuses the samaritan just lets his heart erupt and says I'm getting my hands dirty now, now, this minute. Now I'm just jumping in and get my hands dirty. As I was praying in the morning, I'm like, let's go do this thing, you
0: know? And um, so we did.
1: And um, these are the kind of things that make my life worth living. I highly recommend you guys learn to
0: do the same. Am I an expert? No, no. Uh,
1: You have to jump out and believe that God is with you because God doesn't do stuff on earth as a rule. If there's not a human being involved, that's the way he set up the game. So if we didn't go uh, and we didn't get involved and you guys didn't get involved, they're going to have a rough go
0: there. They're going to drop them into the public schools. At
1: Niagara Fall, they had no gender bathrooms. I mean, what are they supposed to do with that? They're going to start teaching their kids that if their boys want to be girls and their girls want to be boys, it's all cool. And if they want to marry a girl or a boy or a horse or seven girls and two boys in a polyamorous relationship, it's all great, right? They don't know what church to go to. But they don't, they know nothing. They they didn't he wanted to know if there's a port uh, in the state of Kansas. So if he wanted to start a business, is there a port that I can actually, you know, get stuff on a ship, you know? I'm like, oh, no, sorry buddy. No ports. So we bought him a big map and we stuck it up in their apartment.
0: Like let's these people have been beaten up,
1: raped, abused, traumatized. PTSD, but they're still together. They're still looking to God. And so we're like, let's jump, man, let's do it. So anyway, we did. So maybe that's all I'll do with that piece, because what I want to share with you is that uh, I felt like the Lord was speaking this passage to me. This is So the sermon, if it has a title, would be Take My Bread and Loaves. Um, this is in John 6, and this account is in other Gospels as well. But uh, after these things, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. Those of you who are in your Bible trek, you know, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Mediterranean. Okay, good. See how that works? So you know where we are. Uh, sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with the disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing a large crowd coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these may eat? This he was saying to test him. He himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered 200 a denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. A denarii is a day's wage. So let's say 200 bucks. So he's saying 200 times 200 dollars won't take care of this crowd just from to get a snack. This crowd is huge. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad which is an archaic word for a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Why doesn't he have five? Unless they're loaf nuggets, a kid can't eat five loaves, right? You buy your kid, when you get chicken nuggets, you get five for a kid. So I doubt these loaves are this big. So he's probably, this is for his family. I would guess. Maybe some expert on ancient Near Eastern whatever will tell me no, but but I think I'm I'm pretty safe here. That this is not just for him. Mom and Dad sent him to the market. This is dinner.
0: So Jesus said, but but he gives him up. Obviously,
1: they don't like the disciples. Give me that. Get out of here, kid. You know that because I was talking about anger, righteous anger yesterday at seminar. And the one, one thing that made Jesus mad was when the disciples were neglecting, mistreating children by, like, keeping them away from him. So Jesus isn't going to put up with any shenanigans with kids, I mean, against children. He's not gonna, so this kid gives up this bread and loaves, bread, yeah, yeah, <laughs> bread and fish, loaves and, yeah, sea creatures. Okay, Jesus said, Have the people sit sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down and numbered about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, having given thanks. He distributed uh, to those who were seated, likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted. So miracles happening here. So the kid gives up what he has. Jesus multiplies it, does a miracle. And everybody's filled. When they're filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so nothing nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw this sign, which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And that's a reference back to Deuteronomy 18 and a prophet that God is going to send a prophet greater uh, uh, God, a promise of God that he's going to send a prophet greater than Moses, who's like the prophet par excellence in the Old Testament. But, um, and that's Jesus. So they're like, wow, this is the promise being fulfilled. And they're starting to wonder, is this that great prophet? And he is. So God's kind of, I don't know what else, what other word, nagging me. It's not a negative thing, no. though. This is kind of percolating, I guess, in my brain all week long. And the basic message is, what do you got?
0: God's up to something. Get involved all the way. You know what I'm saying? God's doing something. Throw yourself into it. What do you
1: have? Use it. Maybe the kid had a hat. Jesus didn't need his hat. He, had clo- he didn't need his clothes. Maybe he had a bag full of stuff. He didn't need his
0: stuff. He needed his bread. And so he gave it all. And because he did, Jesus took it, multiplied it, and a miracle happened. And uh, now it's forever, you know,
1: in the scriptures, and, you know, people are preaching about it, remembering this kid and what he did. And I just felt like God's telling me, that's what I want you to do. I just want you to get involved and, Give what you got and don't hold back.
0: And how easy for the kid, this little kid, this is for my family. Even if they were
1: loaf nuggets, this is my lunch. Um, and just like, hey, can I have it? And something really cool will happen if, if you give it to me. And so he gives it to Jesus, and then he multiplies it, and a miracle happens. And then when all is said and done, they have way more than they need. So maybe the kid goes, "Uh, you know, um, that was for dinner tonight, and uh, you kind of took all my food. And they're like, get out of here, kid. We're going to eat all this ourselves. You don't get any of it. I can just imagine a lot of people make Christianity this dour like miserable kind of look people say looks like you're weaned on a lemon you know like like jesus is grumpy and is. i think they're joyful and happy and i can just see them like loading this kid up and laughing and bread falling off his and the kid's like what uh you know this is crazy um going home and his mom's like what happened you know and he's i gave everything i had to jesus and you know, I sacrifice, and check this out. And I just felt like God was saying, "Just, you know, it's kind of a
0: combination of the Good Samaritan and then this teaching of Jesus."
1: So, um, yeah, Monday, Susan's like, "I was thinking the same thing." I came up and I said, "We just need to jump." She said, "I was really thinking the same thing." And uh, I've done this a few times in my life. So we did, and then some of you guys got excited about it, and somebody's like, hey, I got airline points. I can get you one of the tickets. You'll have to buy the other one. And, of course, we have Derakeem, the ministry, and some people gave to that. And, of course, the church has a benevolence fund, and, you know, that's available, but I, don't, I didn't want to take too much advantage of that, you know. But we had some different streams, but I also felt like I have resources, and we wanted to do things for them with our own resources. And I, didn't, I felt like the Lord was like, no, I don't want you to take from the ministry or from the church for that. And I just started plowing ahead and doing stuff without really thinking about it to love them. And uh, for example, I took them to Wendy's and I bought 10 singles and four biggie bags and it was almost a hundred dollars. And I was like, "Whoa, this is uh this is going to add up quick." And I went to Wendy's for ice cream cones, which we used to get for a dollar. That'll be forty-six dollars, please. I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" And we had to rent another car, which I was like, "I'm going to put this on the church's card, man. I can't do everything." But then they don't have any books. They don't have. They just like jump on a plane and go. Um, they. They are just lacking everything. They got super smart kids, so we're like, we should get them some stuff to do and to you know. So we wanted to buy them gifts. So, yeah, a lot
0: of you guys, you got you got into this too, but it just
1: how would I say it? It snowballed really quick. But God is telling me, look at this kid. He gave what he had, and. I covered them abundantly. And I'm going to do this for you. And then as things were adding up, you can ask Susan what I was praying for in the car. I'm like, Lord, this is getting pretty gnarly here. This is kind of two gas tanks, right? Trips to Niagara Falls, food every night, right? Stuff at the store, things they don't have, basics. we had to get them, well, the church did this because we, this is one of the things we agree, they don't have phone communication. How are we going to talk to them? How are we going to keep up with them? It's just it endless. So to make a long story short, again, a lot of people got involved, which is wonderful. But then we didn't let anyone know what the hit we were taking. And I was like, Lord, you know, come on. And uh At times, I was tempted to be frustrated. I was like, I was not expecting this to go this far. And then at the end of our time, another amazing, miraculous story of somebody whose life was changed that some of you and I have gotten to be involved in their life, and it's absolutely mind-blowing and amazing, and it's been a several-year process. Um, On their own initiative, said... Basically, I need to know very specifically what you need um, or, or where I can give the most strategically. And I. So I kind of let him know what's up with us. And it was just like, all right, covered. We just come back and everything's covered and all the expenses are covered and church covered some. Derek covered some. And then this person who I don't think they've ever given anything ever before. I think ended up giving more to this thing than or the church or anyone else. Um, And for me, that was like the cherry on top because this person was a crazy, alcoholic, abusive, lost, wild man who is now, God has his heart and he wants
0: to start getting involved in kingdom stuff.
1: And so for me, it, it was... Everything kind of came around full circle. The Lord's like, Hey, just give what you got when God drops the situation in front of you. Well, what about my investments? What about my retirement? How am I going to take, you know, how am I going to do my date night next week if I, whatever? God's like, Look, you got what's right in front of you. So again, it's kind of a combination of the Good Samaritan. Look, this family's bleeding out. They don't know they can drink out of the taps, they don't have any contacts. They ended up going to a a Nepalese church where they speak Nepalese. And that's kind of, you know, very sweet people. But we ended up going to a dinner with them. They just, they don't know where to go. The only reason they went was because it was on their block.
0: They need a lot of help. And uh,
1: we were able to help them when they were in Uganda. You guys helped. We helped. We were there. Some other people were there. Abby was there. Uh, Michaela's there, Alan's there. You know, when they're there, now they're here. We wanted to jump in, get our hands dirty. We did. And uh, the whole week, he was just saying, just what do you got? What do you have in your hand? What do you have? Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. Put it out there. I got you. And I was thinking this morning, some people say, well, I tried the Christianity thing and it didn't work. And I tried the faith thing. And it didn't work. So I'm not going to do it anymore.
0: When I try something and
1: it doesn't work, after 30 years of doing this, you know what I have learned the problem is virtually all the time? I got the equation wrong. You are doing it wrong. And uh, some people are like, how dare you? You know? We're stupid, man. We're just stupid little creatures. And for the rest of our lives, we're going to be trying to do the faith thing and stepping out in faith. And sometimes we hit and sometimes we miss. And when we miss, we go back, God, what was I doing wrong? And God will say, oh, you didn't incorporate this piece in. Oh, okay, let me go try that again. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, it's like trying to golf or something. Like, why can't I drive? You know, why can't I drive that thing? And your instructor's like, dude, your hands are wrong. Here, try this. Boom. Wow you try it again, shank, shank. But, but once you know what the correction starts to work more and more and more, um, it's just like your Christian life. And I've been doing this kind of thing for 30 years. And I do sometimes hit that sweet spot where, the, where, where God meets me, but it's, it's when I jump out in faith. Um, And a lot of Christians are like the priest and Levi. They've got all kinds of excuses. I mean, they got their student loans to pay off and they've got a busy schedule and they've got. um, All right, you do your thing, man. I'm going to the street kids. I'm going to the AIDS orphans. I'm going to go help this family from Uganda. I'm going to jump out there. But you don't make any sense. I mean, you're not you're totally out of the game. What about your long term investment plans and Where are Jesus' long-term investment plans? I can't find that in the New Testament anywhere. Or the Apostle Paul. Or anyone. I just see Jesus' teaching is jump out there when God presents you with a situation. I just talked about the Good Samaritan, and here we have a whole family that has been beat up and left by the side of the road who has nobody. And the Scripture says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. So... I still make mistakes. I'm still frustrated at how little effort I put into this thing. And yet, I still get to have amazing, fun, supernatural adventures. And um, this is kind of my testimony. So, you know, if somebody says, well, it didn't work for me. I said, well, let's compare notes and make sure you're doing what I'm doing. Because it works a lot of times. For me occasionally i have some questions i don't really understand what went wrong but uh we need to find their caseworker and um i'm buying them a toolbox in walmart because i have no tools little you know the collection of tools screwdriver hammer all that um and one of the kids runs over every time i go in the car like a bunch all the boys wanted to go with me because it, it's a thrill and uh you never guess who's in Walmart? The caseworker. I mean, come on. There's only 100,000 people spread out over 100 square miles. I mean, anybody could have bumped into anybody in that town. Yeah, well, try to bump into your best friend today as you're meandering around, you know, uh, Manhattan. It doesn't it was just like we needed to meet up with them. We found like the Lord's on your side. And so now we have that caseworker talking to a caseworker in Manhattan, trying to get them here because there's evidently a really great, resettlement group here so i just wanted to share a little about that and i guess my challenge is if you want in the game first of all of course you need to be born again i just finished the chapter this was also kind of cool i just finished the chapter on being a hasid in my book, and I've downloaded it. It's full of mistakes, so I need you guys to help me correct it. But a Hasid is someone whose life is characterized by Hesed, which is loving kindness, which I'm not, read the chapter. It's the Good Samaritan. That's what, that's why you were created. But in order to be a Good Samaritan, God has to change your heart. He has to do a miracle inside you because we're just not good. We're selfish little monsters full of excuses. And we get angry at people who don't affirm our goodness, which is ironic because we're just not good. We're selfish. We're full of excuses. And um, God needs to do a miracle and put his spirit in us so that we live lives of generosity and goodness. And said, Tad, why would you give so much? And why would you? I was like, because well, God got in me. He infected me and he just made me like that. You know, that's what well, you're bragging. Yeah, I'm bragging that God does that for people. That's him. It's yeah, we're bragging about him because I'm a... Before he got a hold of me, I was a selfish monster. So that's all I can say about me. But he offers to everyone to have his spirit invade them and change their nature. And I said, what a, in that chapter, I said, what a paper-thin vision of Christianity to think that being born again is about getting you out of hell and through the pearly gates. What a paper-thin vision of Christianity.
0: God saved you so you could be like him. That's why he saved you. And uh,
1: yeah, we have got some babies in the church. And when they're born, they don't look a whole lot like their parents. And they don't act a whole lot like their parents. But over the goal is over time, they, hopefully, they, if they're good people, they're going to, well, you look just like your father, you know, or whatever the gracious traits are of the parents you want them to take that on What's the same with god so the day we're born again we don't look just like jesus but we start figuring it out We start getting better and better at it studying the word doing discipleship but the whole goal of you being born again is so that you would function like him and the good samaritan is just a little just a little slice of what jesus was that's basically he was functioning just like jesus he walked around let his heart be lit on fire for the needs of others and then he just poured himself out every situation he got into That he didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's why we're saved. We're saved so that God's spirit transforms us, changes us, so that we'll become that kind of person. We're not very good at it. We never do it perfectly, but we do it perfect enough for God to get involved and affirm us and answer our prayers and do amazing things in the process and to touch people with his love. So that... And, and, and when they tell the story, you're like, wow, that, that was me? Like, I was the angel? That's crazy. You think I'm an angel? I remember one person, yeah, it, years, it reminded me of when I was young, I would try to do these outrageous things. And I saw a guy leave a, a meeting in Chicago when I was a Bible college student, and I had broken my foot. And so I had this wooden device on it, and I'm clump like, clump, clump, clump. And so I'm following this guy through the streets of Chicago, clump, clump. I'd seen him leave this church service, and I just felt like I should go talk to him. I'm like, hey, uh, I just feel like God wanted me to talk to you. And uh, just wondering. I don't remember how this worked out, but we ended up getting pizza together. And he's like, I just got in an accident, and I'm partially paralyzed, and my wife left me, and da 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 And he said, are you an angel? I was like, no, not hardly. I think some preacher, someone asked them that one time, and they said, ask my wife. She'll let you know. <laughs> I... No, but you get, to be that, you get to be that agent of the supernatural grace of God, as fumbling, bumbling, foolish as you are. So, something else I'll mention about this, John 6. You have two different types of people in, you know, really radical contrast between what the little kid did and what the rest of the crowd does. I'm not going to preach a second sermon here. The little kid gives all for the cause. And he doesn't calculate it out and say, all right, I gave you uh, five and two. So um, let's see, 10 times, I'd be 50 and uh, 20. Okay, so after all is said and done, you're supposed to give me back 10, right? Isn't that how it works? I give my 10, I get the 100, give my 100, get 1,000. That's why I'm in this gig. That's why I'm following you, Jesus. No, he just gives it, gives it all. And then he experiences abundance, but he doesn't do it to get. There's no indication. He just gives it all to the cause. But then you have the whole mob who suddenly say, wow, this this Jesus gig can get us stuff. And I think this is kind of symbolic of the two different types of, quote unquote, Jesus followers. There's the Jesus followers that are in it for themselves. And then the Jesus followers who are in it to lay down their lives. For the cause. Now, when you do lay down your life for the cause, you tend to be blessed, like mind-blowingly blessed. But if you're in this gig, to be blessed. Okay, I went to the psychotherapist, and I tried the meds, and I tried yoga, and I tried Eastern meditation. What I'll try Jesus, see if I can get some peace of mind and physical health, whatever. Just, it's the next thing on the list. Let's try him out. Like, no, that's not going to work. So, so the whole crowd, they're like, hey, this Jesus can... Give us bread. And they're like, they want to come make him king. Well, Jesus has to chase them off. This was actually the most unsuccessful mega church ever. So they did some outreach events, and they got 5,000 men and a bunch of women and children as well. And then as soon as they all came together after this great outreach, you know, the feeding thing, the neighborhood feed, Jesus realized they weren't the right kind of followers, and he intentionally said things to offend them and make them leave. Because they were in it for the stuff. They weren't in it to be changed, to die to that greedy part of them that wants me, 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 stuff, 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 stuff. It's like, no, that's your disease. Jesus wants to heal you from that disease so that like him, you will just lay it all down for others because that's the real source of joy. But in that little boy, I think you have the paradigm of the, the few To do it right, which is, I'm going to give him everything just because he's Jesus. And just because it's what he wants for his cause. And so, obviously, for you guys, what kind of Christian are you in this gig? Because Jesus heals, delivers, saves, helps you win the beauty pageant, whatever. Helps you become CEO, the head, not the tail, health and wealth and prosperity. Are you in it just because he's Jesus? And he deserves it all. And he's the only worthy one. And even if I lost everything, and I, why did I do this? Well, just because that's what he's done in my heart. What do I want back from him? I just, thanks for the opportunity. One time I was being squeezed financially, and I felt like the devil kind of had his foot on my neck, and I could just see him kind of doing the Job thing in heaven. Like, just keep squeezing him, God. Just keep squeezing him. Keep, keep uh, squeezing him financially, and he'll get frustrated. I wrote in my journal. I always get emotional when I say this. I said, God, I would serve you if I had to pay you money. And if you check my journal on the next page, I'm kidding you not, financial bombs started dropping because I just felt like God was like, there you go, Satan. See, you lose. He just loves me. So why do I have to hold anything back? You lose. So it's just a privilege and an honor to, to be like Jesus in a small way, to function like him in certain situations. Don't miss your opportunity. don't make excuses don't walk on bike, take whatever you got and lay it at his feet. Say hey, I got five loaves and two fish. I got a car right I got a paycheck it's not big. I got time right I can, I can throw a ball around with a kid in the park I can like that you know I, I can be friends with that kid on the door and it's a little funky and awkward and rude or whatever. I can pursue that broken person and nobody else can stand. I can take time in the morning and pray over people that I know who are broken and lost. I can pursue whatever situation you put in front of me, God, and I'll use whatever you got, whatever I have in hand to make it happen. So I hope this was encouraging, helpful, and I do, and a lot of you guys, it's your joy too because you got involved and you're a huge part of this. And you were a part of God's answer and part of God's provision, and um when they come here, they're i don't know, they think they're family, so don't you guys like you better smother them and love them and the kids are super cute, man, they're just beautiful little kids, um, but uh they she they asked her when she left you gone and said, "Do you have any?" family in the United States and she said yes in Kansas we have family so I don't know yeah probably a good place to stop so uh yeah let's say a prayer and then we can do our normal um breakdown we're a little ahead of schedule so father we come before in Jesus name we thank you Jesus that you are the paradigm of yeah um what it looks like how we're supposed to function, what we're created to be, compassionate, our hearts on fire, gracious, getting involved, slow to anger, putting up with people that don't understand what we're trying to do, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. You're always like that every day. You don't change like we do. Help us to be like that. We pray, Father God. For this family from Congo that is so hurt, so broken, so beaten down, so traumatized, that they could come here and we pray that you'd use us to heal every wound, Lord God. Um, And it's not us, of course, it's your spirit flowing through us, through our prayers, our love, our words, um, our affirmation. Um, Just bring them here and let us love them, Lord, back to wholeness by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, bless you, thank you for the opportunity to be your hands and your feet in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming. And we're kind of way early, which is, I told you that when you start serving like this, miracles happen. So this is a miracle. We're like 20 minutes early. Uh, If you have kids, I guess you can get them, but I don't know what this means for lunch. Are we doing it outside? Our regular lunch people are gone. But the routine is if you have kids, go get them. We usually set up lunch outside. And then those who want to stay and pray for anything. If you realize, hey, I've lost sight of what it's all about, I want to be one of those people that are out there laying my lives down, my life down for the broken or any other need you have. Um yeah, this is the time just to just to hang around and we'll pray for you. So Love you. Thanks for coming. And we'll just take a few minutes so people can get adjusted. I think if we are eating outside, people have to take stacks of chairs out and things. So, but uh, that's a wrap.